Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Matt Chat. This is David Miracatani. Today, I'm very, very happy to be joined by the associate head coach from Penn State University, Cody Sanderson. Coach, thanks so much for carving some time out for us today. You're welcome. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Happy Mother's Day all, to all the moms out there listening. Um, really excited to have you on. Got a chance to talk to you in Vegas and so many subjects to get into. So I, I kind of want to start not at the very beginning, but in your collegiate career, um, obviously you had a really good career at Iowa State. When you look back on that, tell me how you think that helped prepare you for your coaching career, both at Utah Valley and, and at Penn State. Well, when I was at Iowa State, I mean, I had the, the great fortune to work with Bobby Douglas uh, to this day, still one of the greatest wrestling technicians I've ever been around. Uh, you know, he was brilliant. You know, I felt like when we were learning from him, we were learning from somebody that was ahead of the game. Uh, also, as well, I had uh, Tom Ortiz and Chris Bono there as coaches most of the time. And those guys were just very helpful for me as well as my brothers in helping us develop into into college wrestlers. And while I was there, obviously learning the art of coaching, you know, growing up in Utah, we didn't really get an opportunity to see a lot of college matches. And so when I got to Iowa State, uh, it was really my first real experience with college wrestling and what it was supposed to be like. So those guys were there to, to help us through that. Um, you know, my dad was our high school coach. He prepared us to be there. But my first experience with college wrestling was with those guys. You, you mentioned a phrase that really stuck out to me. You said the art of coaching. And I grew up as a coach's son as well. When you say that phrase, the art of coaching, what, is, what does that mean to you? Well, coaching is something that takes, I think, just like any other discipline, it takes years of, of learning and studying to really start to learn it. Uh, you know, we very lucky myself. You know, when I, when I say we, I'm always talking about my brothers as well. Sure. You know, Carol, our brother Cole, and then my youngest brother, Kyler, because wrestling for us was a family. It's what we did together. And my dad was our coach. And so we grew up watching coaching. My dad was a very successful high school coach in Utah. And so we were able to learn, you know, it's not wrestling technique necessarily, but it, you know, it's the coaching. It's how to run a program. It's how to work with athletes. It's how to work with boosters and families and parents and uh, young wrestlers. And so we, we were exposed to that at an early age. And then when we were able to move on to Iowa State, I was able to then go ahead and start learning from uh, some of the best coaches in the world. Yeah, and and you mentioned Coach Douglas, and, and I, I'm friends with Coach, and everybody, I've never had the blessing to be coached by him, but everybody I've talked to has mentioned what a, what a genius he is when it comes to technique and things like that. So, you know, is, is the lessons you learn from him, are those still things you guys draw upon today? Yeah, when we start talking about some of the te technique that we focus on with our guys, it's stuff that we, you know, a lot of the stuff we learned from him. And when I was trying to decide where I wanted to go to school, you know, I was the oldest of the brothers. I wanted to find a place where all of us could go and reach our goals. And, you know, when I met with Coach Douglas and I got to know him, I was able to, to watch his coach and his athletes. Um, you know, I knew that it was a place that we could learn you know, the technical aspect of the sport and, and and even I think with my brother Kale, you know, I think that he was Bobby Douglas was the coach who was able to develop him technically more than any other coach we could have found. And so we were really lucky and blessed to uh, have made that choice. Yeah, that's 
that's a really cool thing to say about Coach Douglas, considering the success your family has had as a whole. Um, you know, one of the things when I was, you know, doing the research for us getting a chance to talk was, and I, I got to be honest, I almost forgot about this with the success you guys have had at Penn State, that you literally started that program at Utah Valley. And I think very few coaches have literally started a program from scratch like that. So what were the, the challenges that you had there in terms of just literally getting something off the ground, probably having to buy, you know, buy mats, buy singlets, put a schedule together? You know, what kind of challenges and lessons did you learn from that process? Well, those challenges you mentioned, it was that uh, and even more in a week. Uh, I, you know, maybe rephrase it, I wasn't necessarily the one that started the program, but I was the first coach for the program. You know, there was a community of people there in Utah. There was a void in the wrestling community, and they needed a college program. They were able to come together and convince the athletic director there to, to add wrestling at the time. They were looking for a men's sport to add because they were jumping from a junior college to the NCAA Division One uh, athletics. So by requirements, they needed another men's sport. You know, fortunately, they, they chose Utah and then or, or chose wrestling. And then because I was from Utah, you know, I think they felt like it was a, you know, a good fit for for me to be there. As far as challenges, I, mean, I was young. Uh, I didn't know what I was doing. I looked back and I, I kind of <laughs> laughed at myself. And I, I, I remember sitting. I had this little triangle of an office with an old computer that sounded like a lawnmower. It was so, you know, it was so old and loud. That's awesome. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just kind of sat there once in a while. I just like, all right, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I'm not quite sure. And so I just kind of wander around from coach to coach and ask them questions for the other sports, spend some time in uh, you know, the athletic director's office, um, and just kind of started putting it together. You know, we didn't have a wrestling room. Uh, fortunately enough, there was some companies that came through to help us, you know, help us get a wrestling mat. You know, Resby came through, uh, Asics and Flipkeen. Those guys were able to help us get some equipment to get going. But you know, we really didn't have anything. You know, I, I remember on the phone at times, uh, calling coaches and just kind of begging them to wrestle so that we could, could put a schedule together. Um, you know, it wasn't easy at the time, but I mean, just those sorts of things is a completely different aspect of coaching, you know, than we have now. And so I'm, I'm very grateful that I was able to come through, you know, that side of it. And because, you know, I'm some of the challenges we have there, we don't have here at Penn State, but, you know, I'm aware of them and I know what programs are going through. And I think also it, it helped me learn what kind of work it takes. My dad told me, you know, if you're going to be a wrestling coach, you got to be ready to put in like 12 or 16 hour days to get this stolen. And, and he was right. Yeah, I, for sure. And I think, you know, you do have to put in those, like you said, 12, 14, 16 hour days. But when you get to put it that time towards getting the best recruits, coaching the best guys, taking kids from good to great or great to phenomenal, generally you get better results than, like you said, getting on the phone and begging people to let you come to their open tournament or, you know, trying to figure out the best prices for headgears and singlets and things like that. So, <laughs> so I would guess that the, the, the 14 to 16 hour days you're putting in now are probably doing, you know, more of the things that you enjoy doing and more of the things you end up seeing on at the end result on the mat. So um, you were obviously the associate head coach at Iowa state and, you know, tell me a little bit about that because you're basically in the same role now. So kind of tell me how that transitioned from from what you learned there to, to what you're doing now here at Penn State. Well, it was, you know, it's really the same thing. And I, I was, you know, I was at Utah Valley. You know, Kel gave me a call. 
um, you know, I knew that it was kind of coming. He said, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the head coach here and I don't want to do this without you. And he said, are you willing? And we talked about it. And I said, you know what? I'd love to come to Iowa State and get back to, to where I graduated. And, and you know, part of that, he asked me to be the associate head coach, which, you know, for me, it's pretty much, I mean, I'm an assistant coach, but um, it means that I have more administrative responsibilities, budget responsibilities, and those types of things. And, you know, what I did there with our coaching staff and, and Casey Cunningham, who was with us there at Iowa State for one year, it's really kind of the same same role that we have now. Uh, we work together as a group. You know, I think maybe our roles evolve through time a little bit, but really that same structure that we're able to put together there is what's carried us through. It seems like you and Kale have just, you know, a super cool relationship. I mean, when my dad and I were coaching at Merrimack and, you know, the Nationals were in St. Louis, you guys, you know, a couple of years came in and, and worked out at our place, you know, like that day or two before Nationals and, you know, when I was coaching with my dad, it was kind of that unspoken thing. You could kind of look across the room and just look at the guy and know what the other one wants to do. Is is that kind of what it's like with you guys working together like that, where, you know, the left hand kind of knows what the right hand's going to do? Yeah, we. but that's what we've always done as well. I and mean, we grew up working out together. We grew up competing together in high school and then well, at Iowa State and then coaching together. So it was really, uh, you know, people ask me what it's like to coach with my brother, and I don't really know necessarily what it's like not be associated with him in wrestling because you know that that's what we do. You know, I I know him as well as anybody. He knows me as well as anybody. Uh, you know, there's a there's a level of trust there that I just don't think that you can't match that any other way than you know, maybe father, son or siblings. You know, we're just lucky to, to do what we love to do and also have a great uh, supporting staff around us. How far I, I I how far apart are you guys in age, you and Kale? Uh, uh, just over two years. So he was two years behind me in school, and then our brother Cole was right between us in age. So when we were on the team at Iowa State, we were, we were all in the starting lineup for two years. So I was a senior uh, when Kel was a sophomore. Okay, okay, okay. So I, I kind of think I have a little bit of an idea of the dynamic between you and Kale. And I listened to Kale talk about, you know, he's very, very complimentary, obviously, of you and and Casey Cunningham and Varner. So what is it like to work with Casey and with Varner, especially because, you know, you guys coach Jake as well? What is that dynamic like? Well, we've been working with Casey on the staff for, I think it's nine, eight or nine seasons now. And, you know, before we were working with a coach named Tim Hartung out of Minnesota, he was an excellent coach as well. Uh, But he approached us and said that he was ready to move on and move out of the college coaching. Uh, And he gave us a lot of time to kind of, figure out who we thought would be the best coach to bring into our program. And we looked around, and both Kale and I uh, kept thinking that Casey Cunningham was a guy that would be great for our program. I really didn't know him. You know, I'd watched him coach. I saw his results. I saw his athletes. I saw how they interacted. I watched how they competed. And, you know, Kale had a little bit of more personal experience with him, and we couldn't have made a better choice. I mean, he was an incredible coach. You know, he's one of the best coaches I've ever been around. He's somebody that we completely trust. Uh, he works great with us, you know, as, as brothers. You know, maybe once in a while, Kel and I, you know, we're going to fight a little bit like brothers on occasion. That's <laughs> For sure, right? Just the way, that, that's the way it is. Um, you know, he, he just moves right in when he needs to move in, or, or he, you know, he can say, all right, guys, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. And, you know, he is the perfect complement to what we were doing at the time. 
Uh, now we've had Jake Barner here on staff for one year. We all had the opportunity to, to coach him in college as, as well as internationally. And, you know, he's kind of a, I would say, a younger brother to all of us. And we were all part of his wedding. And he's a, the guy that had the same values that we have. You know, he values that hard work. He came through our program. He knows what we want. He knows what we're looking for. And the guy was an incredible athlete. Couple time national champion, Olympic gold medalist. When he talks, guys listen. Yeah, I mean he's he's done. I mean you have multiple guys on that staff, and you know all around you guys that have done what anybody who ever started wrestling wants to do. So yeah, I think that gives you know your your program and everybody in it a ton of credibility. So. Um, I was at a clinic one time, and I heard Kale say that he wasn't very good at teaching technique. That he was that he was very you know not he didn't say he was very good, but obviously he was very good at doing it. Do you feel like he was just kind of you know being I don't know shy or quiet about that, or, or did he have struggle teaching for a while? And how has he learned to overcome those those woes if there were any there? Well, I don't know that he I've, – I've actually heard him say that before, so I know exactly what you meant. And okay. I know that at times I think he thought that he didn't teach that well. But we're talking you – know, this is uh, several years ago. But I don't think that he wasn't a good teacher because he was always a great teacher. I think maybe the distance between the comfort he felt as a competitor and the comfort he felt as doing a clinic for people were much different. So I think that's probably why I got that impression. But he was always a great teacher. But he's he's – I mean, right now – I mean, he's beyond, far beyond where he was then when he was doing clinics as a competitor. You know, I've noticed that when people do technique, well, let's just say our guys on our team, I watch our guys, they compete, I know what they do, you know, step by step by step, and they compete, and then I watch them teach. So there's always this, this gap between what guys do and what they think they do. And it seems like the younger they are, the further those are, are apart. So I think that with Kel, you know, at the time, he thought, well, this is what I think I'm doing. But when he's competing, when you're, happen, happen, or you're competing faster than reaction. So if you're reacting to someone, you're getting beat. And to break that down and teach it, you know, that's a challenge. And it's a skill that can take a lot of time. But it's something that you know, he's really good at now. Some of the technique we were going through, uh, we worked out a little bit earlier this or last week, talking about moving guys, getting positioned, you know, controlling the tie-ups, just mm-hmm. stuff that... I mean, it's it's just world class. It's as good as you're going to get. You're not going to see anything better anywhere. Oh, I believe that. <laughs> and your results <laughs> obviously, you know, validate that. So one of the things you said there was that the gap between being able to do it and being able to teach it is actually bigger from your perspective when you're younger and actually probably better at doing it than, you know, when you're older and maybe retired, but, you know, maybe somehow your ability to learn to process it for other people is better. So I, I guess just I want to make sure I kind of understand that as an example. So you're saying like maybe a guy like Zane Rutherford who's got an amazing top riding series, bow and arrow and all that, like are you saying that maybe theoretically five, ten years from now, he might actually be better at teaching that than he is right now while he's in his college wrestling prime? Oh, yeah. Yeah, without question. I think that sometimes, I mean, when you're – currently doing and competing, you know, that, that adds to it. But that wisdom that comes with being a step beyond your competitive age and learning and finding a way to apply your technique to the different types of wrestlers and the scenarios or the different types of bodies, 
you just learn more. And you learn to feel your way through technique. It's not all about step one to step two to step three. You know, you know, wrestling isn't that mechanical. Well, if it's that mechanical, you're probably getting beat. So as a coach, you learn to be less mechanical with it, and you learn to have variety and figure out how to take different individuals, teach them pretty much the same technique, but customize it to that person. Yeah, I, and you know what? It, it's interesting because – I mean, I don't know if people know this, but I always have a list of questions I want to ask you guys and make sure I, I hit the things I think people want to know. And that you kind of led me to where I want to go next, which is my observation of watching Penn State and, and your international guys. But, you know, I think a lot of people focus on the college season and the guys that are in your program right now that they wrestle through the scrambles to completion and to success more often than, than a lot of the other teams. And so, like, my question that I had written down was, what are you teaching your guys to make this happen? And I'd really like to understand what you're doing that in the context of your your statement that wrestling is not mechanical. All right. Well, that's <laughs> that's kind of a big topic uh, to tackle. Uh, I would say that you know it's more than just the technique. You know, there's the technique. You always have to wrestle every second. You wrestle beyond where you think you need to be, you know, it doesn't matter if a referee puts two up or doesn't put two up, it doesn't change what you're doing, right? You know, we, we can't stop and start, stop and start the wrestling match like that. You know, you're just, you're not going to be the best. So like, I don't think it's probably much different than other coaches do is, you know, encouraging people to continue to wrestle through positions, you know, all the way on the top from top to turns, you know, all the best guys do it. You know, I think maybe there's some other aspects you go into it, the training. If you're trained properly, you have the right energy going into a match. You have the right strength going into the match. You have the right confidence going into a match. Well, you're going to finish those scrambles, and you're going to finish on top. So there's the technique part of it, but then there's everything else as a coach. You have to make sure the guy is equipped when he steps out on the mat. Yeah, I, it makes sense. I, you know, I just – you guys, your guys are obviously doing things that haven't happened for a long time. Like in terms of dominance, you know, we really haven't seen this, you know, at, at a consistent level, you know, six out of the last seven years, you know, since Iowa. And, you know, that style of wrestling at Iowa was completely different than your guy's style. So I guess that leads me into, you know, I hear a lot of your guys, they talk a lot about play wrestling and sparring. So I think we all have a, different ideas of what are that, what those terms mean. What, what do those terms mean mean to you and your coaching staff? Well, it's it's just a learning situation. I think is is what we're looking for with that. I mean, you look at learning studies for kids in school, elementary school, whether it's sports or math or whatever it is. There's an element to play that helps people learn. It's just the way we are as people. And so we try to incorporate that into what we do, but it's going to be different for every person. You might have somebody like, um, so I'm trying to think of guys like, um, like a Nico Megalus. You know, he, he likes, he's a repetition guy. He likes a lot of repetition over and over and over again. But we might have a guy like Jason Nolf, who's kind of more on the other end, who does still gets a repetition. But he's always, he likes to play with it more, and, and it's not quite as rigid. And so for those guys, it's a little bit different. The idea is to get them to find a way within their own style to, to learn, test, and play, experiment what, with, with what they're doing so that they're always getting better. Now, there's a place where you got to go in and you got to get your reps, you got to get your single legs, you got to get your double legs, whatever it is. Sure. But 
want to continue to to add in and and test so that you don't get stale. You know, same thing over and over again gets a little gets to be a little bit boring. So I I think maybe it's just us as a staff we're just we're willing to let guys figure some things out on their own. Yeah. So I. I, I guess I'm almost visualizing and, you know, so tell me if I have like a correct visual or if I'm completely nuts on this, but like you guys are working on position X, like maybe it's, you know, passing a foot over or a head and a scramble or whatever the case may be. And to use your two examples, Nico's going to get in that position and drill it 10, 15, 20, 30, 100 times. And Nolf's going to get in that position and just kind of flow in there and, you know, just, I don't want to say goof around, but just kind of, feel it and, and maybe not do it the same way twice and that that's their different different ways that they learn. I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it is that every guy is going to learn different and we as a coach need to create, create those situation environment for them to learn and get better. Um, you know, I, it's, I think that when sometimes when guys get to us, it's a little bit hard for them to know what we mean, but it's really, it, it's it's not... You know, it's not meant to be too complicated. It's just, it's just another tool. You know, I mean, we we do drill matches and we do hard matches and we drill ten shots and we do all the things that everyone else has done. Well, no, it's just it's a, it's, a, it's another aspect of wrestling. And well, if there's something we're missing, we try to make sure that we incorporate it and and get the guys doing it. Yeah, but I think that I think that's something big because I think like especially like high school coaches. And I think especially at Little League coaches, you know, obviously your dad was, you know, a great coach at that high school level. They probably don't have the same freedom to, you know, okay, David, you can kind of learn it this way, and Cody, you can learn it this way, and Nico, you can learn it this way. They have to create a lot more similar structure for, you know, everyone involved. So um, what are some of the skills or situations or techniques that um, – you know, if you were giving advice to some of the younger wrestlers out there in terms of sparring and play wrestling, what what are some suggestions, you know, maybe a situation or two, or maybe even just a mentality or a way to look at things that, that those kids could start using to make themselves better? Well, the the number of combinations you can come up with wrestling is, is limitless. You know, for everybody in person and style and weight class, there's going to be uh, differences. So kind of hard to say this is what you should work on. Uh, but I think it's, you know, we would just encourage that you're just willing to learn and willing to make mistakes here. Coach Cal said all the time when he's coaching the guys, be willing to make mistakes or be willing to learn from other people's mistakes too. watch them, see what they're doing. And, you know, you, you talked a little bit about youth wrestling and I, I don't know, actually. I mean, I, I haven't taught or I haven't coached youth wrestling team or club. I can teach the technique at camps. I can, you know, situations, this is where you need to do, or this is what you need to do, this is where you need to get better. But, um, you know, coaching youth level might be a whole lot different. Yeah, I, I think it obviously is because you're starting with different building blocks. But, so, I mean, your main takeaway, the main takeaway is that, you know, guys should sort of put themselves in positions that they're uncomfortable in and then just kind of learn their way out of it and just, you know, keep playing with it and having fun with it until they figure out ways. Is that? Yeah, I mean, if you're afraid of a position, you sure as heck better get in that position as much as you can in practice, or it's going to cost you in a match. Okay. Yeah, there's no way around that. Yeah, for sure. So maybe practice where you're scared, right? So <laughs> that's one way to look at it. Um, your kids talk over and over about the word fun, and um, 
Andy Hamilton and I do a, a podcast where we, you know, during the season where, where we discuss the rankings and, you know, the results and, you know, kind of, your, you know, what you'd expect we would talk about. And uh, he asked an interesting question to me one time. He said, do you think Penn State's winning because they're having fun or are they having fun because they're winning? Um, I know they're certainly having fun because they're winning, but what, what are, when you hear these guys say they're having fun, you know, what is your interpretation of fun and how they're saying that? Well, it's it's a little bit different for every guy. I mean, you know, I mean one guy's idea of having fun is definitely going to be different than than someone else's. But um, I think it's something that was just a message we get out. To. I mean, if you're going to be good, you got to love what you're doing. You got to enjoy it. You got to enjoy the hard work. You have to enjoy it, uh, the learning. You know, there's got to be passion there. When you walk into the restroom, you need to be excited to be there. And if that's not what you're doing, then something's off. Maybe you don't like wrestling and you never liked it. You know, maybe there's something else going on, but you know, that's where we try to help as coaches. Some something if they're not enjoying themselves in our room, if they're not enjoying themselves when they're competing, you know, they're not gonna get the most out of themselves. And it's gonna be a lot harder for them to reach their goals. So we try to figure out what that would be and, and help each person individually. So make the range. I mean Every guy, again, every guy is different. We have a whole cast of characters on this team, and every single one of them is different. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, if, if if person X comes in and you can tell they're down and you don't know if it's because, you know, they had a fight with their girlfriend, if they had a hard time cutting weight, if, you know, somebody's sick back home, if, you know, they're struggling with the class, is – it, are you guys literally just like pulling that guy aside and saying, "Look, what's going on? What can we do to help?" And really focusing on that mental side of it on a on a regular basis. Yeah, we have to, and and I think as a coaching staff, we all do that a little bit differently as well. You know what what I might see in someone, or what what Cunningham might see in someone. You know, they could be different. You know, it might be something that I'm better helping someone someone with. Another coach might be better helping someone with. So we we just work together, try to help the guys out. I'll just go in there. A lot of it's caring about the guys. You know, if you care about them, you're going to want to help, and you're willing to take the time to figure out what it is that they might need. Yeah, and you hear your guys say that a lot, that, that your staff does care about them. And, and you know, I think, you know, coaching, you know, recruiting is kind of a rough game, and everybody will say they're going to care about, you know, somebody's son or daughter, depending on if it's a boy or a girl wrestling, but literally showing that and, you know, the proof is in the pudding and how you treat those people is is completely different. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was it seems to me like a lot of your coaching staff is still, I, I'm not going to say competing, but they still wrestle with the team. Is Do you and, and Casey and Kale still get on the mat every week and, like, actually roll live or, or play wrestle with these guys? Yeah, yeah, to one extent or the other, we're all on the mat. Um, I'm actually probably a little bit less than the other two. Uh, I don't know what it is. Maybe they're just tougher than me, or maybe I've aged faster. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, we were on the mat. We're very active. Um, you know, Cunningham is – I mean, he still takes guys down and, and beats on them. And, and Kel, um, when he kind of loosens up a little and shakes it out, He's still incredible, and he's some of the stuff he's able to do is is, is mind-boggling. You know, he doesn't shoot as much as he once did, but you know, he warms up enough to get some shots. <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody that can stop him. Still, still to this day. Yeah, still to this day. I mean, his technique and the things that he's done, and his hits and his mat presence, um, you know, pretty darn incredible. 
and yeah, and whether it's freestyle or folk style, um, you know, Casey Cunningham first got to Iowa State, he was wrestling with Kale, and he told me afterwards, he said, I had no idea how good he was. And he said, and here's the thing about it, too. He said, people just think of him as a feet wrestler. He said, I think he might be better on the mat than he is on his feet. Just really? something that never saw. He said, it's just his hips and his mat presence. He told me, he said, I think he might be the best folk-style mat wrestler that I've ever wrestled with. And so, so our guys are, you know, our guys are, are lucky. I mean, Kel's a tough guy. He'll go wrestle four or five matches in a day. It doesn't matter how beat up he is or how bad his neck hurts. And, and our guys are pretty darn fortunate to have somebody that skilled that's still willing to get out there and, and do that with them. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, and this was obviously several years ago. So you guys were all, we're all, we were all younger, but. Like I said, when you guys came in, I remember watching and like you were doing more of, I guess, what people think of as the traditional coaching role, like walking around and helping the guys and talking to them and getting their minds right. And I watched Kale just wrestle with Varner and two or three of the other guys and just like if you didn't know he was one of the coaches or the coach, you wouldn't have known. He just put his stuff on and started rolling around with guys like everybody else. You know, I had somebody tell me that to ask you, like, you know, how I know he's an Olympic gold medalist. I know he's 159 or whatever it was in O. But can you kind of help quantify just how good he was as a competitor for a guy that was, you know, there with the journey the whole time? And, you know, as an older brother, as, you know, a mentor to him, you know, how good was – I don't want to say was he because it's not like he's good now, but as a competitor, how good was he? Well, I, you know, we, we, so we look for recruits. We look for somebody that has – you know, all the aspects, everything that you would need, strength, speed, mental toughness, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but, you know, he's one of those guys that is close to anybody that had it all, you know. But to watch him go through it was pretty incredible as well. You know, to win every single college match, yeah. and it's not possible, right? It's not possible. But he did it. He somehow did it. And, it, you know, the the... the technique he got to where he was just better than those guys but the mental aspect of it to think about that every day every match every season every year I mean that wore on him you know, I know that going through his freshman or sophomore year I mean it was hard but when he started getting into his junior year that's when it really got tough it really got tough but you know he found a way to do it he found a way to win that junior and senior year and then didn't really even have time to take a breath and his expected to go win Worlds and Olympic Championships right away. And, uh, you know, he had a, I guess, for, for a regular person, he had a tough World Championships, only got the silver medal. But then figured it out. I think that he just started to figure out the game of freestyle in time for the Athens Games. You know, and up until that point, he was more of just a modified folk-style wrestler. But he just kind of started to figure it out when he got to Athens and was able to win the gold medal. And I believe that, you know, had he continued to to wrestle, you would have just have seen the beginning of where he could be. You know, and we see him in the room after that, 05, 06, 07, 08. That's when the guy was really good. Now that's when, you know, I don't think there's anybody that, that could have touched him out there. So, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm his brother, so it's kind of weird for me to say, but I was able to watch him develop and go through it all. And, you know, he's still out on the mat with the best guys in the world. 
and he can still go toe-to-toe with them. Even now, you're saying? Even now. Wow. They've been in. Yeah, no, I'm, yeah I'm sure you they, they, they've been They've been into our room, and he can go toe-to-toe with them. Yeah, I would I would guess you guys probably have a few good people pass through that room. <laughs> so, um how has he changed, I guess, I maybe not changed, but you know, I guess how is he different as a person from going from a competitor to a coach? Well, that's a completely different uh I you know, that there's probably something you really wanted to know you'd have to ask him, but I think it's been a completely different mindset. Um you go from Waking up every day thinking about yourself and what you needed to do or what you, what you needed to work on to, for us now, he's thinking of 37 guys on our college team plus a whole bunch more guys on our, in our Nittany Land wrestling club. So it's just, it's, I wouldn't say it's an opposite approach, but it's just flipping. How do I now take what I did as an athlete and teach that to other people? And I think that takes time as well. Um, I remember having a discussion with him when we first started coaching and, it was me, him, and Tim Hartung at the time. And he said something that, that that effect. He said, well, we're just getting this going, but he said, I'm going to need you guys' help because I'm not really sure yet what we need to be doing, and you guys both have more coaching experience than I do. So I'm going to try to learn from you guys as we go. So maybe that, you know, that, that willingness as a young coach to know that there was more out there to learn helped him get to that point even faster. Yeah, and that's a that's a pretty cool attitude because when people are at the top of the game, a lot of people have a lot of arrogance, and usually with arrogance comes the lack of willingness to learn. Because you know, to to say I want to learn is you have to sort of humble yourself a little bit to the person you're learning from. So that's 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 pretty impressive. Um, you you mentioned Nittany Line Wrestling Club and and you know the RTC and that kind of stuff. So. You know, tell me a little bit about how that works. Like, you know, like, I mean, maybe almost logistically, like, do those guys, you know, like, what are the rules? Are they allowed to train with your team? Do they have to train on separate hours? Like, who all's out there right now? You can tell me a little bit about how that works. Yeah, the, well, the New England Wrestling Club exists completely separate from Penn State University and, and the Penn State wrestling team. Uh, you know, with the regional training center rules, there is some overlap as far as participation and participation as coaches. You know, our vision for the club um, has not necessarily been let's develop the finest club in the country. I know if we, if we do that, great, right? But the vision was to make sure that we were able to help our guys reach their goals. You know, David Taylor comes to us and he says, I want to be an Olympic champion. We need to have a way to have that in place so that he can do that. And so that's what we've done with our club. And we're very, very uh, fortunate to have uh, people behind the program that are willing to support that. You know, our alumni in the Penn State University community, they understand the value of the club and they've been willing to, to give their time and resources to help us do that. So, you know, currently we're able to, to fund guys that are postgraduates to, you know, living stipends, and, you know, competition fees. If they need to get to Russia, they can get to Russia. You know, we cover their health insurance. Now, I know a lot of people, these, these guys are wrestling around the country and they don't have health insurance. They're trying to find out how to get it on their own. That's expensive stuff these days. And so, you know, we're fortunate enough to be able to provide that for the guys. And it's just part of our kind of our overall plan to make sure that you know any individual that comes into our program can reach the goals that they've set for themselves. 
That's really cool. I mean that you're. I mean, it just it seems like you guys are trying to take away as many of the distractions as possible and let these guys just focus on on becoming the best guys in the world. So, besides Taylor, who all is currently in in the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club? Well, we just um, left last week. Uh, we we had to say goodbye to Frank Walnero. Uh, he just took a spend with us, but he took the coaching position down at Virginia Tech. Uh, we're all very happy for him. It was always kind of a bitter thing. Our guys grew up, eventually have to go away and get jobs. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he'll do great there. But he's he's been a big part of this club the last few years. I mean, currently have, like, Nico Megalutis, um, kind of guy going through the lineup, Jordan Conaway, um, Matt Brown, uh, you know, Taylor, uh, Franklin Gomez, you know, who's also Puerto Rico, um, Brad Dombrowski and Victor Terrell are part of the, the Army Athlete Program. Uh, Nick Wazdowski is usually here a week uh, per month doing training. Um, right now we have in our room helping helping coach um, Tatsuhiro Yona Meets. He's a 2012 Olympic champion from Japan. Uh, he is absolutely incredible. You know his his skill and the things he does. It's, I just I've never seen anyone else that wrestles quite like what, him. What was the name he said uh, that was incredible? Tatsuhiro Yona Meets. He was 66 kilo gold medalist in London okay. from Japan. Uh, he's been with us the last uh, almost two years. Uh, pound for pound in 2012, you know, one of one of the best in the world, one of the best uh, you know I've ever seen. And just even on him, you know, he's he's incredible. So he he's been he's been a big part of you know he's a big part of helping um, you know Franklin Gomez have his international success and, and Frank uh, Molinero get to the Olympics. Um, Eric Thompson, he he trained with us before. He's he's coming back. He's going to be helping doing some some heavyweight coaching for us. So it's kind of a you know it's not always the same people, but it's it's a busy room. You know, a lot of people coming in. We have guys, maybe a couple more that'll be coming moving out here this summer to train. Uh, so it's you know it's quite a roster, and and it uh, you know continues to grow. You know, hopefully in the future we have some of these guys that are Penn State athletes now that'll be wrestling in it as well. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you guys obviously got a first-class, you know, like you said, roster and the number of people that are there. And, and it's not like you just have good middleweights or upperweights or lowerweights. You got studs up and down the line. So, I was actually standing next to Varner during the Rutherford-Jordan Oliver match. And, you know, I think that match along with the Dake Burroughs final was kind of the two matches that everybody focused on in terms of the new freestyle rules. Um, I'm going to kind of just tell you what I think for whatever that's worth and then kind of ask you what you think. I, I think it's kind of crazy that a subjective ruling on how many times you hit a guy in the head or touch him in the head is when that call is made is literally worth more than a takedown. I, I, I would, I'm very interested to, to hear your guys' opinions on what you think about the new freestyle rules. Um, well, I'd have to, I mean, obviously we were, you know, you mentioned the match with, with Zane and, and Oliver's. And so, you know, I don't really want to talk about that situation because, you know, that happened and that's where they called it and, and fine, you know, that's, over, that's the right? thing with, yeah, yeah, it's over. <laughs> that, that's, 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 here's the hard part with, with freestyle wrestling is that, um, they never go to an event like that without coming away feeling like, Someone got not necessarily cheated because I don't want to say that, but that it didn't feel right. 
and it's it's just it's a the rules are, are you know there's a lot of subjectivity in them to me and the way there was some discussion i believe after this national tournament like they're saying all right did the rules do the new freestyle rules work and people are arguing back and forth whether or not they work and my point is is they don't work because they can't be called consistent they can and they they won't you know it's and if there's a call that can't be called consistently, then to me it's not working. Um, and the point that you said too, as well, it being worth more than a takedown, you know, that's an example I've used many times that you have somebody go and get a takedown. We want to encourage action. You want to incentivize that action. We want guys to take risk and score. Right. But then you have another situation where maybe somebody grabs someone's fingers, gosh, mm-hmm. too. Like, wait. Okay, maybe the finger should be awarded, but I don't see that that should be more powerful than somebody going and getting a takedown. No. So that that's the other part of it, too. Maybe a hand to the head should be penalized, but I don't think it should be penalized to degree because it's back and forth. Each guy's putting their hands on someone's head, finger grabbing. Well, who's grabbing the fingers? I don't know. In the, the Molinero-Kennedy match, they hit Frank with a caution to against him for grabbing the fingers. 30 seconds later, they both grab each other's fingers again, and it's caution two for the other guy. And I'm not saying that those referees did it wrong. I'm just saying that that rule is really hard to call consistently. Yeah. And if you can't call it consistently, then you have problems. Correct. Yeah. I mean, I think that what you're—it's very well said. You know that look, it's—I mean, you know, it's not that you're on one side of this argument or the other. It's if you like you're saying, if you can't. Say, look, if you touch the guy in the head six times, it's not a point, and the seventh time it's a point, you know, something like that. Then it 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 lends it lends itself to what happened. Like I literally saw the bat the the referee like standing outside the bathroom, and I said, "What do you think about these new correct throw rules?" He goes, "I think it's a dumb rule, but we have to interpret it." And I think it was interpreted correctly in that situation. And you know, I'm I'm sure you obviously look at it differently because it was your guy, but I mean. It's just from no one no. I I mean I talked to Zane, we watched the tape afterwards and I said, Zane, I think they called it right based on the rules. I think they did. I don't like the rule. I mean to right, I, I don't like the rule, no matter who it is. I think somebody throws themselves to their back to score because they're losing, but doesn't score, but then gets points. I don't really think the situation is I don't I don't really think that that should be how something's scored. By the rule, though, I think they call it right. But I never was really a fan of a correct throw. A correct throw to me is one that works. I, <laughs> yeah, we've, you know, we've I, had that discussion on on air but, too. Like yeah. maybe it's points for an incorrect throw. <laughs> and maybe two, and and as well too, maybe it should just be a point. I mean, two points for not executing the technique correctly. And I understand, you know, they want to incentivize, they want people to take risk. But trying to throw somebody when you're losing, that's not taking risk. And that's not a risk. You have to. Yeah, there's no-lose no situation, so you might as well do it. Yeah, right? it's no, there's a no-lose situation. So that's just just kind of generally philosophy speaking. You know, I don't – I just not – I don't like it. I would rather those things just be a point. I'd rather them not even be a caution. But I don't. <laughs> I have no influence in these decisions. It's just you know, it's kind of my observation. I think one of the best moves they made ever. I always thought it was crazy. You could shoot in on a single leg, get dumped, and come around behind, and that guy gets two. You get one. Well, where's the incentive? 
Right. If you want people to go go grab a leg, there needs to be incentive for grabbing the guy's leg. So when they made the takedown two points, I thought that was a huge step in the right direction. And that's the way I think we need to think, you know, what's going to get someone to actually score consistently over and over. Yeah. I mean, you got to, like you're saying, you want the rules to reward aggression and taking chances. And I think it's a very good point that you make that, you know, if you're beating me by however many at the end, I'm not taking a risk by trying something. It would actually be taking a risk to not try something. I'd be guaranteeing I'm going to lose. So, yeah. What are your thoughts on the new proposed collegiate rules, like the the scrambling rules and some of the the headgear, facial hair, all that kind of stuff? Where do you stand? Like, which one of those would you like to see passed and not, and and why? Um, well, the rule changes are always a little bit tricky because I really think you don't just jump into it. I mean, you got to you got to take your time, think about them because there's what we think is going to happen, and then there's what actually happens, and they're not always the same thing. Um, I think there's interesting ideas. I mean, I actually I have the the list here of some of them, um, the rules for the the weight uh, loss. You know, the, the penalties, I think that's fine. Um, you know, the weight allowance for the, another point for the second day of competition. Um, I don't know if it's necessary, but it's fine. Ear protection, I know as an athlete I wouldn't have wanted to wear them. Um, but I know that I had conceded that I was going to have cauliflower ear. It didn't bother me at all. <laughs> uh, you know, I just and, – and I think that if you go to – you go into the summertime and you see guys – you know, if someone's working out somewhere, chances are they're not going to learn headgear. Some guys do, but I think most of them don't. So, you know, what's the difference if they wear them in the competition? So I, I think it's fine. Uh, I think they're silly looking a little bit if you're talking about perception of the sport, right? If you want to see what, what people think of the sport, they draw a cartoon of wrestlers. They're always in a goofy-looking singlet with big, goofy headgear. So I don't, I don't <laughs> know if that should play into the, the decision, but, you know, that's part of it. Facial hair, yes. I, I like the idea of having short facial hair. I always felt like it was kind of protection against, you know, microorganisms. Making a guy get up and shave at 6 in the morning, close shave before they get on a scale and then go wrestle, I always felt like it was kind of opening their skin up to, you know, potential whatever might, right. might get there. Whatever fun. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know, but I, I do know that, Razor Baron going out onto a mat is not, and you know, that's not a recipe for good things to happen. For sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I've, we've actually had guys, they were saying to me last year, they wanted us to try to propose that as a staff. I said, well, I don't know if that's how it works. I don't think our staff makes <laughs> do it. But, you guys aren't, um, you guys aren't running that coach? <laughs> no, no. Um, they have the third party video review, and I think that's okay. I don't know. I, I mean, get to the national tournament. I personally, I don't have a problem with the referee that's on the mat going over and watching his own video and deciding whether or not to change it. Uh, I think that, you know, a lot of coaches feel like it should be someone else. I, I really don't have a problem with it. Our experience with those guys is that they're wanting to do the best that they possibly can. Now, whether we agree with their call or not, I mean, that's our that's our job as coaches to not agree with their calls. But I think they do a pretty <laughs> darn good job of going over and watching the videos. But, you know, maybe we need to change Maybe we don't. I don't really have a strong strong opinion either way. Um, and then the, the I guess the big one you asked about is the scrambling. Yeah. Like whether if you're on your back for 90 degrees, is it going to be recount and then it's a takedown? Um, you know what? I, I, I don't know. I'm back and forth on it. Really? I don't like the idea that you can lay on your back 
for an extended period of time and nothing happened. But, you know, folk-style wrestling, there's an element of scrambling and dragging a guy out and having to secure a takedown. You know, it's not freestyle wrestling. It's different. It's a different set of rules. So that's part of the sport, that scramble. So we, I think you just have to be careful taking some things away. And, you know, I don't know, you know, maybe it would go in and be a great change. You know, maybe it wouldn't. Maybe we as coaches need to do a better job of teaching guys how to beat the scramble, teaching our guys to out of the positions, teaching them to keep their feet free so they're not rolling around on their backs. You know, I don't know. Is it a coaching thing? Is it a refereeing thing? I'm not sure. But I could convince myself either way in the same conversation that it should be one way or the other. I don't know if that helps you or not. No, it does. I mean, you, I, I mean, anytime somebody's at the top of the game, it, they're in, you know, their insights, their opinions, those are really, really interesting for people to hear. You know, I, I, everything you said was interesting, but what really jumped off to me was that you don't, you're, you're fine with referees reviewing their own calls and that on the scramble rule for whatever you want to call that rule that, you know, that you see value to both sides of it. And, you know, I think that's a very balanced, measured, reasonable way to look at it. I do think that if you're marketing the sport that guys not wearing headgears and you know, if you're looking for iconic photos and, you know, people, you know, faces of the sport, the headgears don't do anything to help that. So, I mean, I, but I, I didn't, when I read that people wear the headgears the wrong way and that can actually promote cauliflower, I thought that was kind of insane myself. But, um, you know, I think if you wrestle for a long time, you just figure your ears are going to get beat up and that's just part of the process. So, um, yeah. yeah. So one of the things that I think is interesting is your guys really seem fresh at the end of the year when it counts, you know, that, I mean, like, obviously you guys didn't win the big tens this year. And then, you know, you won the nationals and you had, you know, multiple guys that didn't win the big 10 titles individually win national titles. So how do you guys, I mean, every, every coach in the country and every kid in the country is like, I'm going to peak at the right time, but clearly you guys have done a great job of doing that. How do you, and I'm not asking you for a specific formula because one, I don't know if there is one and two, I guarantee if there is, you wouldn't tell me, but um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the exact yeah. recipe to do that. So, but you know, how do you guys as a staff kind of know when to get on them a little bit, when to, you know, really push them and then kind of when to ease or back off? Well, I, I this kind of comes back, I think to the, maybe the, one of the first or second questions you were asking is about the art of coaching. And, you know, we as coaches, we've spent a lot of time getting guys ready to go, and we pay close attention. You know, I watch how the guy walks into the room. I watch how he sits when he's listening to practice. I watch how it warms up. I need to get as much information as I possibly can so that I know what that guy needs to do to be ready to compete at his best. And we all do that as a staff. We talk about it. We meet about it every day before we go to practice. Sometimes we talk about what we're going to talk about at the meeting before practice. And so I don't know if there's a, a magic formula because we have some guys that we do things differently with. And, you know, I think that it's just a matter of coaches paying close attention to what they're doing with their athletes and, and adjust it. You know, I, I take notes on what we do. I mean, I have seven years of practice plans. And I look at them. And we look at them. We talk about them. We say, wait a minute here. What did we do wrong? What did we do right? How can we change it? You know, what needs to be different? And then just a willingness to learn. 
And I think that there's always a better way to do something out there. You know, there's always somebody that knows more, and you know, so we're actively engaged in trying to learn more about the body, learn more about peaking, trying to find more about the science of the sport that will help us with the art of coaching. I don't I mean I, I can't give you a formula for, no, for what I, we do. Yeah. And no. like you said, I mean if you want to ask me what what we do to have guys ready, I would tell you to tell other coaches that we run for ten miles a day going up into the national tournament, right? <laughs> Nine live matches on, on Wednesday, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know you're a smart guy. I was yeah, so I hope the question was reasonable in what I meant. So I, I think you said some a couple things, though, like you said you know, you look at how a guy sits and you look at how a guy walks into the room. And so I'm guessing what I'm taking away from that is, you know, I'm going to just use me and Cunningham as an example. Like I walk in and maybe, you know, I'm real high energy and everything's good. And I finally got that girl to go out with me and I got an A on the midterm and everything else. And then Casey walks in and, you know, his, his head's down or he's kind of dragging that, you know, maybe it's a good day to push me a little bit harder because I've got the energy and maybe it's a better day to taper him down and kind of work with him on the mental side or some other side of things. And that's really, at least if I'm understanding it right, that's really you coaching to the athlete specifically and to their specific situation. Is is that a correct interpretation of what you were saying? Yeah, I would say so. That's pretty correct. I mean, there's some consistency, I think, between athletes. There's the general ideas we found that that works but you know everybody's different you know if you're a coach you need to know your athlete if you don't know your athletes you're gonna have a hard time preparing them yeah for sure you know one of the things that and i've talked to coaches and they have very different philosophies on this or else they're just kind of you know not telling me the whole truth but how much time goes into game planning for specific matches and opponents you know especially when you have so many guys that went deep in the tournament you know specifically you know, you guys went five for five, obviously, in the finals and, and reversed a couple matches. You know, a, a kid like Joseph that lost to IMR multiple times. You know, how much is it like you're going to sit down with Joseph and Casey's going to sit down with Hall and Kale's going to sit down with Zane or Nolf? And I'm just, you know, matching people up hypothetically. What what does or does it go into that stuff for you guys? Well, that's uh, well, it's kind of a tricky thing because – you know, you're really looking at the mental aspect of an athlete and, you know, all of them coming in are a lot of different. We have some guys that have watched a lot of video and prep. We have some guys that have never watched video and every guy's a little bit different. Uh, you know, sometimes we see something and we think we need to change, but uh, again, as a coaching staff, you know, we work together and uh, make sure that, you know, we're approaching the athlete right between the big 10 and the national tournament, what we need to work on. Also realizing that, you know, whoever we're coaching has probably been wrestling 15 years. So they have a pretty good idea of how to wrestle anyway. <laughs> kind of maybe making small adjustments. And, and, and Matt prep, prep, I mean, if you start Matt, uh, match prepping three days before the national tournament, it's about a year too late. You know, I mean, when we're looking at next season and maybe we're potentially thinking about who Zane Rutherford might wrestle in national finals next year. Well, I better start that prep now. Well, what does he need to do to get better to beat those guys now? And you work on it. I, you know, day to day, week to week, within the season, everybody's a little bit different. Yeah, I, I, that's interesting that you, you know, that your your perspective is to start that far ahead of time because 
you know, we do, you know, I do the national rankings for track and, you know, I, you know, I did the interviews and was on the floor and I'm just down there with a buddy of mine. And, you know, like, like all those people, you know, you kind of like to guess about how you think the finals are going to go. And I told a buddy of mine for years, cause uh, Mays, you know, grew up right around here in St. Louis. And I'm like, it's really hard to prepare for that guy's double leg until it hits you one time. And I said, I really think he's going to get at least one takedown in the finals. And I mean, and, you know, obviously that's what happened. And then, you know, Zane adjusted and that was kind of the end of that. So, but it's super interesting that, you know, you're looking at, okay, you know, hey, Cody might wrestle David a year from now. I need to be working on that now instead of, you know, waiting till the end. And, and, you know, when I coach for a long time, you're right. Some guys want to watch tape and some guys are like, look, I'm going to do me and, you know, we'll let that other guy worry about him. So, you know, like you're saying, it's important to get, know your kids. And that's, I think the overriding message I've gotten from you is that you have to know your guys and you have to be coachable and willing to adjust. So um, I always like to ask the guys to take the time to do the interview because we have a lot of kids listening to this and I know your guys recruiting classes have really struggled here, coach. I'll do what I can to help, but (laughs) um, what, you know, obviously you got, you know, pretty much everybody wants to come wrestle for Penn state right now, but what are you guys looking for when it comes to recruiting people to Penn state? Well, there's a whole different thing, bunch of things you look for, I guess. And we, we watch our guys compete. We try to watch them practice. If we see somebody lose, sometimes that's even more valuable than we than when they win. You learn a lot about somebody in their loss. Um, I mean, I saw James Nolf lose a match to a kid and then turn around and beat him in the state tournament and saw the adjustments that he made and the approach that he took coming back. I remember, I mean, I already thought he was a guy that we wanted to get. And then for me, like, well, this is, there's no question now. James Nolf is going to be something special. So it's, I think it's been out and watching the learning and, you know, finding people that you're excited to coach. Well, if you're if you're recruiting someone, you're thinking, man, I don't know how excited I am to coach those guys. Well, <laughs> you might might want to think about it. You know, I, don't, <laughs> them, <huh? laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's there's no formula for it. You just but we do the best we can to figure out who's going to fit best in our program and with our guys and, and with the coaching staff. And, you know, we we hope we get it right. Yeah, well, you obviously you guys have been getting it right, and I mean, you know, there's certain programs that consistently get a lot of the blue chippers coming out of high school, but you know, you guys have done as good a job as anybody in the country in developing them, and and you know, really getting them to meet or in a lot of cases even exceed the high expectations that people had for those kids, uh, you know, coming out of high school. So, coach, I, I I can't thank you enough for your time. You know, you've given me an hour, and it it means a lot to me. It means a lot to. uh to our listeners, and, you know, I, I knew I probably wasn't going to get the recipe to the, to the secret sauce, but, you know, congratulations <laughs> on everything you guys are doing up there. It's very, very impressive, and uh, I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Well, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. All right, folks, that was Coach Sanderson, the, the associate head coach at Penn State University. This is David Maricatani with Matt Chat. We'll speak to you all next week. is part of the Matt Talk Podcast Network. For more wrestling podcasts, head over to matttalkonline.com.